Chad, you know what's weird about these podcast episodes? Is that it's kind of an open-ended conversation, but it's hard to know where to start. I mean, I don't know how you do this every week where you come up with this <laughs> unique anecdote that gets us gets ball rolling and kind of starts this thing. We don't really have a have a, a very structured start, do we? No, we don't. And you're completely right. It is sometimes a bit of a challenge. I've got to rack the depth of my brain to come up with something because you're right. We Once we're free-flowing and once we're in that conversation, it's easy. But we have to start off easy. We have to you know, ease our way into it. We have to get the listeners on the same page. Um, ultimately, every week we're starting this thing with a different frame of reference, a different mental state. So we kind of need to ease our way in. How are you today, Barry? I'm doing well, Chad. I'm doing well. I've had a really good Monday so far and things have gone swimmingly. Nice. Um, so that's been really good. Being productive, it's been a good day. The weather's been lovely, so can't complain. And the weekend was great as well. Really had a, a nice time out. So it feels like life is getting back to normal, Chad, yep. which is really cool to see and really cool to feel. And how are things your side? Yeah, good, good. Um, I had a very chilled weekend. I spent pretty much probably the most time I spent at home on a weekend in a while. And I know we were in lockdowns and all of that kind of stuff as well. So that's saying quite a lot. Um, but yeah, just decided to, to spend some time at home. Did go and catch up with, some, with a few friends, like you said, feeling normal, which is uh, really interesting. And uh, I, some, some of the times just even forgetting to, you know, have the mask at the, at the ready, you have to go back home to fetch it, all of that kind of stuff, which is weird. But uh, we're settling in there and uh, it's been a good Monday as well. So ready to get into our weekly podcast, Barry. Well, let's do it, Chad. Let's get into episode 43 of Across the Pond. And because we have such a cracking jingle, we have to not just do one ease in, Barry, we have to do two. We have to do two eases. <laughs> oh, geez. The stories of being a podcast host, Chad, because we've got so much good stuff to get to, but we have yep. to go through the small talk, which you know I'm not good at. I really like the depth. I suck at the small talk. So when I'm standing around the bride, you know, that, that oh, yep. you see, I'm so bad. I can't even get there, Chad. <laughs> well, it's, let's just skip right through I don't it. know what it is. We don't need to waste any further time, Barry. Let's get right to it. The week that was. See, this is, this is my zone, Chad. This is my zone. Now we into it. Now we into the meat. We're starting today with a crazy story coming out of this side of the pond here in South Africa. Um, there's been some drama, Chad, this side, with a retailer called Clicks, okay. which for those who aren't in South Africa is a big kind of pharmacy slash healthcare kind of retailer. Yep. Um, very, very popular here in the country. Probably the second biggest behind Discam, which is probably the biggest. Um, and it really has a retail footprint across South Africa and has been kind of a mainstay of South African retail for a long time. And they had a, a big mistake they made in the last little bit. They had an ad on, on their website, an advert for Tresemme hair products. Okay. And they had these four pictures of different women who were modeling this, these hair products. And two of the women were white and two of the women were black. And so that was kind of the, the diversity that they were trying to get in the ad. Problem was, the advert described the hair of the black woman as dry and damaged on the one picture and okay. Frizzy and Dell in the other picture, trying to talk to some of the products that are needed for, for that sort of hair. And then they described the white hair as fine and flat on the one picture and normal on the other picture. So a really, really blatant kind of racist advert, yeah. basically, um, because the way they kind of mention these products and the way they try and target them towards certain hair types, it, it really harks back to this idea that black natural hair isn't natural and, and has to be worked on in order to get into some sort of societal... Yep like acceptable state. And that's been a problem with that, that's come with a lot of the racial tension across the country over the years, and, that, and especially in schools, where schools have these very strict regulations for how you can wear your hair yeah. and whatnot. And for a long time, they've been targeted towards white hair, basically. And so it has to be straight, it has to be combed, mm -hmm. all that good stuff. And with black natural hair, which is beautiful in its own way, it just hasn't catered to that. And so unfortunately, this, this advert obviously caused a huge uproar, Chad, and it's been all, South Africa's been talking about it for the last day or two. Yeah, I'm surprised this hasn't happened sooner because although clicks are, I guess, taking the, the brunt for this particular advert and this particular outcry, I've seen these kinds of terms used on these types of products from bigger brands forever. And so this is, I guess, a wider conversation to have. Um, and although, you know, clicks did clearly, you know, choose really poorly in terms of their marketing and in terms of presenting these products on their website, um, this certainly, certainly is a bigger conversation to have. And, you know, those phrases that you mentioned about school days, those regulations, you're mentioning them because they're very relevant to you and me who, who grew up in this time where um, ultimately it was, you know, post-apartheid and there was integration, I guess, 
And it is very, very clear to see, and it was clear to see for me and you, I guess, as well, that this kind of progress clearly, practically hasn't actually been made and that a lot of the requirements of schools and uh, ultimately the accepted norms are clearly stuck in the past. Yeah, it's one of those things, I think that it's it's indicative of how hard this change actually is and this transformation is because you can change all the laws, right? You can get all the big things right. You make sure the laws are fair. You make sure you get the right constitution in place and you try and make sure that those structures are, are working the way they should. But there's so many of these small pieces of society that are still very backward and haven't kind of advanced and haven't taken into account the way the world has changed and kind of the moral progress we've made as a society. And so these are small examples, like you say, that point to bigger problems in our society things that, that, that still on a daily basis affect the lives of people who don't look like us and who are, who are potentially have been disadvantaged in the past and they still are fighting these daily battles all the time to change language and to change the verbiage and change the way that things are portrayed, et cetera, et cetera. It really is a, a sad state of affairs. That I, I mean, my first thought of this is how is this still happening? Mm. How is this still a conversation where just pure marketing messaging can be so off the mark? And you know there's been a team that sat around a desk somewhere and approved all this stuff. And, and how did they not spot this sort of thing? And I think it's because we've become so desensitized to a lot of these smaller things because there's bigger fish to fry in a lot of cases, right? We're dealing with a lot of stuff here in South Africa at the moment. The pandemic, the economic destruction, a lot of like the unemployment, all the good stuff. There's a lot of stuff that this country is dealing with. And then things like this just to kind of poke in the side yeah. all the time. And uh, it's, it's one of those things where we need to see change. We need to see these things really become inclusive, honestly, and, and, and upfront, not just like token diversity or kind of lip service to these ideas. But it needs to be inclusive because otherwise, how are we going to build a better South Africa Absolutely. if we're still going to have this racial tension all the time on simple things like hair products? Absolutely. Completely agree, Barry. And I just wish we were there already because at this point in time, given the history and given the passage of time, really, uh, you know, in South Africa's history, I would have thought by now that, you know, it would have been at a stage where these kinds of mistakes are not made, especially with the heightened sensitivities around the world at the moment. And it has become top even more topical at the moment, um, you know, given what's happening in the US and that kind of stuff. So I would have thought that there would be, you know, hypersensitivity to it, uh, certainly on the marketing team front, but, but clearly not. It must have, uh, you know, somehow got through. In terms of what they've done, though, have they released any statements? Have they retracted the ad? Have they done anything substantial? Yeah, Chad, it's that same PR game. It's that same game of trying to figure out what is the right way to message this. Um, what they kind of did was they shifted the blame because basically what they said was that Tresemme's um, advertising campaign, they sent the, the stuff through right. and clicks were negligent in approving it and letting it get on the website, but they were basically trying to shift the blame to Tresemme. So both Tresemme and Clicks have, have issued um, apologies and retractments and all that good stuff. But it falls on deaf ears because it's not the first time that it's happened. And it kind of doesn't feel genuine sometimes with these very, very cold social media statements saying we apologize, we've retracted it. They say they suspended the employees, et cetera, et cetera. So it seems like some action has been taken. But I think the frustration of the country is really, is really showing. And in fact, the EFF took it to another level because the EFF were very, very angry about this. Yeah. And they decided they were going to try and like protest some of the stores. So as of day of recording on Monday, EFF were at click stores across the country and were protesting outside the stores. And, and a lot of them were closed peacefully. A lot, of the, a lot of the times EFF convinced the managers to close the stores so they didn't have to just kind of make their point without in, going into violence or any of right. that. But there were some isolated incidents, as there always are, of looting, of destroying a property, of kind of, kind of the, 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 more, the more scary side of, of, of protesting. Yep. Um, and so it's hard to say right now, like we haven't seen enough in the media as to how widespread it was. I've only seen one or two videos and most of them seem to be relatively peaceful. Um, but they are, they are calling out for the end of this kind of racism. And it's, it's one of those things where I don't know if it's what we should be worried about right now. Like there's so much other stuff to be thinking about and, and whether we should be protesting clicks at, at stores across the, across the country. I understand it's a very important topic, but maybe our focus should be elsewhere. I don't know if, the, if, if this is the heel they should be dying on right now in this moment. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many things going on at the moment. We're all still trying to make our way through a pandemic. Um, it, I guess it's just fuel to a fire at the moment and uh, emotions are running high. Understandably so. People are people have lost their jobs. People are, uh, you know, very, it's desperate times. Um, and uh, I've seen some videos of, of the click stores being looted. Uh, never nice to see anything like that. Um, but I do hope that, uh, you know, clicks has learned their lesson on this front. And I hope it sends a message uh, to companies across South Africa um, and not just South Africa, but if it does extend a little bit wider 
to the rest of the world as well, especially when it comes to these hair products. Um, because for a lot of people, for a lot of black people, and I've, I've seen it, I've spoken to some people, it sometimes feels to them uh, like they have to, you know, force themselves to look a certain way for the rest of society. And we honestly should be letting people be their true authentic selves with whatever hairstyles um, they'd like. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's such a good point. Cosmetics is a really problematic industry in this way because we've got this Western idea of what beauty is, right? Because of Hollywood, because of the way the media works, there's this image of what beauty is in our minds as a, as a Western idea. And that doesn't translate across the world. Like we can't be silly enough to think that that, that Hollywood actress that we, everyone is trying to look like, that is the definition of beauty. That is such a silly and superficial way to look at yeah. it. And in an African context, we have to be thinking about beauty differently. And, and so I know nothing about beauty products and I don't understand all the hair products when it comes to, when it comes to females, but it is such a big topic in, in the sense of what body shapes are acceptable, yep. what body yep. types, what hair colors, what hair types, what hairstyles, all of this stuff. We can't be stuck in a past where we dictated what beauty standards are by someone across the, across the pond, right? Yep. We need to be setting our own standards here and talking about what is South African, what does South African cosmetics need to look like? And, and really like building our own products, our own lines. We can't be relying on these ginormous brands who don't really care about a country like South Africa. It's just another distribution market for them, right? As South Africans and as Africans, I think we need to be building more African-based cosmetic products that can really target the, the real needs and the, the people in, in the country because they have a much better sense of what's happening on the ground. Theresa May, I'm guessing that ad was made somewhere in the West and was kind of just sent across by email that had probably never been to South Africa, kind of some of those ad execs, yeah. right? And so it's one of those things where we need localization in these sorts of things so that we don't get into these sorts of problems. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that, Barry. I think that's a, a complete fair point. But at the same time, I think this is kind of generic enough that it should apply no matter where you are in the world. I think, you know, being sensitive to what's happening globally at the moment um, means anyone doing any sort of campaign like this uh, going forward, I would have expected some sort of extra checks to go out uh, before releasing this out, wherever it was going. Uh, but I do get your point, Baron. I think it is definitely a good one. Shall we move on then to the next thing that happened this past week? I was looking last night through Amazon Prime. So Amazon Prime, a great membership that gives you a whole bunch of different things, one of which is free deliveries, which happen the next day um, throughout the month. You also then get a, a bit of a premium music service and you get the, I guess, the streaming service, Amazon Prime, which has some movies and series and that kind of stuff. While I was looking through there last night, I actually came across the, the tennis. I came across the tennis. I saw some live matches on and I was super, super keen to watch one of them. Uh, my fiance was not in the mood. And so I did not watch one of them. <laughs> but Barry, you've written about one of these matches that I could have been watching and I feel big FOMO because I didn't catch this. Oh, Chad, you missed the moments of, of, of hilarity and <laughs> sadness and a whole mix of emotions um, because the, the number one seed, Novak Djokovic, who, who is kind of, I've probably been the number one player for the last couple of years, but it kind of moves between him and Federer and Rafa. But he's been right up there for a long time, like one of the best players in, in history almost. His Grand Slam record is incredible and he was the, the favorite for those tournaments. He was, was playing one of his, I think it was a third round match or whatever, and he, he had lost the point and he got a bit frustrated. So he turns around and he took his racket and he hit a ball in frustration, obviously just trying to get his anger out, right? Yep. Unfortunately, he didn't, he didn't realize where he was hitting it. And oh, he hit the ball man. straight into the face, or I think it was the throat of the lines Ooh. judge at pace. Now, it wasn't enough time for her to get out of the way. So Ooh. as soon as he hit her, he immediately was realized and kind of snapped out of his anger and like went over oh, to try and help no. her. But it was... <laughs> exactly, exactly. And... Uh, Hit her in the face. She obviously took some time to recover. I think it took the wind out of her. You know when you get hit in the throat sometimes, yeah. you like lose the wind in your chest. Um, and so, yeah, it was one of those moments which are, it's like social media gold. It's become a meme. There's this great <laughs> photo of him going to say like sorry to her and she giving him this very skiff look. Oh. Um, so that's become a whole meme. And unfortunately, Chad, the rules state that if you do something like this and, and you like negligently hit the ball elsewhere and whatever – you get defaulted from the from the game. <laughs> so basically, he was forced to just be disqualified from the tournament, basically. Wow. And is now had to go home because if he hit the ball and hit the lines, lines judge in the face. Oh, you don't know how much pleasure I get from this, Barry. And I know there'll be listeners thinking, <laughs> why is he getting pleasure from this? Because, hey, people pick a team, right? 
And I'm not a I'm not a Djokovic guy. I just am not. I see the guy <laughs> as a yes, incredibly talented dude. But the arrogance that I find myself seeing on the screen, maybe it's only because whenever I watch him, he's playing against Rafa. Um, but that sort of level of arrogance <laughs> does for me make this kind of experience so pleasurable to hear happen. And uh, I will certainly be going to check out all of those memes as well. Are you a fan? I, I'm actually a Roger fan, oh, uh, primarily. Okay. But I, 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 I don't feel the same way about him. I, I, think, I don't think he's arrogant. I just think he's very intense when he's actually right. playing. If you watch any of his interviews, like post-game or whatnot, I think he's a lovely guy. But when he gets on that court, he is like balls to the wall. Whereas Roger's like a very nice guy throughout. Yeah. It's very rare that he's going to hit a ball Act or a last judge, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. But, but I think what made it so funny, it, it's an idea of schadenfreude. It's an idea of like seeing something go wrong and just seeing his face drop as soon as he realized he'd hit this lady in the face. Um, it, it's just like, it, it makes it really, really funny. And unfortunately, <laughs> he loses out and, and gets disqualified. Luckily, she's oh, okay. My God. But the video, Chad, is just wonderful to watch. Have to, have to watch it. Um, it just, just the kind of circumstances, the formality of it all, it's the US Open, um, ultimately loads of money on the line for you know, winning this title. And something as trivial as that. But it is, for me, it's such a big lesson, I guess, in life, Barry. To get to the end, to reach the success, you've got to follow the rules, right? There's ultimately rules that have been set out there. And, you know, this was not a great thing to do. So for me, you know, I, I do feel like the right thing has happened here. I think so, Chad. And I think I love that you're pulling a moral lesson out of this. That's amazing. Uh, stick to the rules, guys. Stick to the guidelines. Um, and don't, 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 let, don't let your anger or frustration get ahead of you because yep. you never know. You could be ejected from the US Open, giving someone else the chance to go and win that and start a career of their own. Yeah, well, it would be good. To, let's be honest. It would be great to see some new names in the world of tennis. Um, we do have some incredibly Agreed. talented people who are up there at the top. Um, but as we know, whenever we go to you know, competitions like Wimbledon or whatever the case is, you look through these boards and see these names you've never seen before. And there are, there's some amazing people there um, who you know, just, I guess, need that extra bit of opportunity. So uh, hopefully we do see some other people come up the ranks that we've never heard before. I think that's good for the game. Definitely. We, we need a new guard to come through. Rafa, Roger, Novak have been yep. the, the kings for so long and, and I've really loved watching them. But you do feel like, I mean, it's, they've been on top for years yeah. now, hey? like probably 10 plus years they've Definitely. been at the top of the game. Um, and so it's about time, like you said, for some new heroes, some new stories. And so I'll be watching the US Open with, with bated breath to see who's going to take advantage of Novak's uh, slipper. Absolutely. And I'm sure, as you mentioned that list, somebody in the audience is going to be saying, why didn't he mention Murray? But uh, anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> Let's move on. He's already out. He's already out. <laughs> He got knocked out already. Uh, sorry, sorry to the Brits who are listening, um, but unfortunately, I don't think Murray's the, Murray's the guy. <laughs> Stuff I found interesting. So something incredible happened this past week, and I still have not watched any videos about it. The only way that I know about it, Barry, is because Casey Neistat received a box, a huge box that was filled with helium balloons, and he kind of hinted at something that was going to be released in the next day or two. Um, and I haven't gone to go and look at it, but I believe something truly incredible. And I'm counting on Barry's wide-ranging vocabulary uh, to pull us through this one and really paint a picture of what has happened here. Yeah, Chad. So it, it is difficult to explain in words. I, I think I want to encourage everyone to go and watch this video. I mean, I've tried already to explain in words and I still didn't get it right. Um, but basically, it's one of those visuals you have to see in order to understand the gravitas and kind of the, the beauty of it. So go and look at it on YouTube. It's, it's free. There's a whole live stream highlights. I think it's 14 minutes or something. It's great. Basically, it's this guy called David Blaine, which I'm hoping you guys will know. Yep. It's, he's, a, he's a famous magician, illusion, illusionist, stuntman, etc. He's done some crazy stuff in the past. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen any of his specials in the past, Chad, about standing yep. on, on, on pillars or holding his breath underwater, yep. being buried alive. He's done yep. a lot of crazy stuff, right? And this was his latest one called Ascension. And the whole idea was that he was going to grab onto a bunch of balloons, helium balloons, and float up into the sky until he was basically invisible, like a, a small dot, cut himself off of the balloons, and then skydive back to Earth. What do you think about that, Chad? That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. It makes me think about <laughs> the movie Up. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched yes, Up. Yes, Which, completely unrelated, had such a great musical score, Barry. I don't know if you agree. I love the musical score. <laughs> the first the first 10 minutes, that montage, oh, masterpiece. Amazing. Absolute masterpiece. Absolutely amazing. But yes, it reminds me of that movie. 
Um, and it also reminds me of a story by the, I think there was a guy by the name of Felix or something who did something similar. Felix Baumgartner. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, so this sounds incredible. And, uh, you know, I definitely want to hear more about this. So how high did he go, Barry? Was he using special balloons? Did he have a whole team? What was the, the whole deal here? Yeah, so that's the thing, Chad. Even though it's balloons and it sounds like a bit childlike, there's so much science that went into this okay. thing because it's not just your normal balloons from the crazy store that you buy for <laughs> birthdays, right? These are like industrial balloons. I think it were 52 in, in total because I think they wanted okay. to allude to his cards. So that was kind of a David Blaine uh. thing. Uh, so you had 52 balloons and inside the balloons was a, a piece of like engineering, basically, that housed a whole bunch of sensors and communication oh, wow. equipment and cameras and all that good stuff. So it wasn't just the balloons it was lifting up. It's also this giant, basically, computer that was handling all the, the data. Because he had a whole team on the ground looking after him when it comes to oxygen levels, yep. when it comes to altitude, when it comes to where he was going to land and all that good stuff. So it really was a huge team effort. And he got together some of the best balloonists and physicists and engineers in the world to work on this thing with him. He got up to about, I think it was 24, 25,000 feet, which is wow. basically where the jets fly. It's like grade A airspace. He had to get clearance from like the air, the air, um, who, who gives clearance? The, the, the Civil Aviation Authority, maybe? <laughs> yes, something like something that. Like that. He had to get clearance from those guys to say that he was able to fly this. And he had to get it registered as a registered aircraft, wow. right? It's not just a wow. bunch of balloons, a registered aircraft. So this has been a project he's been in the works for like over a year now. Um, and like you say, absolutely crazy. And when you hear about some of the risk that was involved, it, it gets even crazier, Chad. That's just crazy to hear about, Barry. Absolutely insane. Just the fact that it's, it's a guy. It's a guy like you and me who has put together yep. this team. He's not wearing any kind of, uh, you know, special suits that let him breathe at certain levels, uh, anything like that. Or was he? Was he? Did I miss that? No, no. So he, he did. He did. He did have an oxygen thing where he took some oxygen right at the top. Right. So in the last kind of two or three thousand feet, but he had done all this breath work and a lot of training over the years to be able to keep oxygen in his blood. Insane. So he was able to go much higher than most of us would be able to do without oxygen, right? So that's one of the risks that once you get to a certain level, the oxygen starts to drop very yeah. quickly, and you start to become what's called hypoxic. Right. And what that means basically is that you start your brain starts to freak out and it almost like becomes like you're drunk because it, you don't get the oxygen that you need right. and you become very kind of lardy day and you're not taking it seriously anymore and that's when people die. And so he was able to use breathing techniques to keep his oxygen at a, at a reasonable level for a very, very long time. Only in like the last two or three minutes did he take actual O2 before he skydived down. Right. So it's a mix of the O2 itself, but also his, his own breathing tactics and the way that he's built his body and the way that he's prepared for the stunt that made it so special. Absolutely insane. It's just crazy. I have to go and watch the actual video to, to see this. Um, but to, to hear that there's a whole team, I mean, I'm glad to hear that um, because, you know, otherwise it would just have been <laughs> complete insanity. Uh, but again, just crazy at how tech has evolved to have pressure sensors inside of balloons with, I'm sure, a special type of material the actual balloons themselves. What I'm thinking here is, how was he making his money on this? It almost felt like YouTube was kind of collaborating <laughs> with him on this, just in terms of the marketing that I saw came come through from that box that was sent to a whole bunch of big creators to, I guess, you know, share this and, and get the word out that this was going to be happening. Do you know what was his strategy on this? Yeah, so YouTube made this all happen, to be honest. Right. So if you listen to some of the, the, the press conferences and the, and the interviews that he gave... Like you say, this took a lot of money. It took a lot of time, a lot of effort. And he was it was for free on YouTube. Yeah. No one bought tickets. No one was paying for it. And so basically he said that he'd gone to YouTube with this idea and said, listen, this is what I want to do, but the budget's going to be crazy <laughs> because he had to do 400 skydives to oh, get wow. his license to be able to skydive wow. down. He had to do all the balloon stuff. He had to get the pilot's license. He had to get the, the, the actual wow. like flying like thing. He had to get the airspace, all the team. Like it's crazy Insane. the amount of money that went into this thing, and it's it's over in like twenty minutes, yeah. right? It's a very yeah. very short event, um, and so I think what happened is YouTube basically funded the whole thing, and so it was live on Amazing. YouTube, YouTube Originals. Like I'm sure they got a lot of budget for that sort of content, and I think they made his dream come true. He was chatting about the fact that in a lot of his stunts, there's no real budget. It's just like a tank of yep. water and he goes into it, right? <laughs> or he gets buried or he gets some ice or whatever it is. This is the first one of his stunts that really required a huge team. It required more mm. than just him to make it happen. And he was very grateful that YouTube came in and actually sponsored this whole thing. And I was very glad to see it because yep. it's something I've never seen before. And the visuals are just amazing. They did it in the middle of the Arizona desert. 
And some of the landscapes you see as he starts to go up was just breathtaking, wow. Chad. Oh, I can only imagine. It does sound like such a beautiful setting. And uh, I mean, yeah, what a, what a feat uh, for humanity just overall. You speak about the risks there, Barry. And I almost wonder whether at least, if not at least half of the people watching this were watching out of the possibility that something could have gone wrong. Did you feel that? I know, it, I know it sounds kind of sad or sadistic or, you know, whatever the case is, but did you find yourself tuning in for that reason? Chad, I'm one of those people, dude. <laughs> I, I was very nervous throughout the whole thing because uh, it seems crazy. And what made it even crazier, Chad, was that they were live streaming him preparing and like getting suited up and all that good stuff and getting attached to the balloons and all that stuff. And the way he was talking with his team didn't sound as confident as I would have liked them mm. to sound, if that makes sense. So like, I'm, I'm used to like watching space shuttle launches where everything is like clockwork and they know exactly what they're doing and it's very, very military in a sense. Yep. Whereas this thing, if you go and watch it, it kind of felt like they were still figuring things out <laughs> right to the very end. Like at, at one stage, David Blaine was like, what is this strap for? And I was like, dude, you can't be asking that kind of question five minutes before you're going to go into the air. Oh, man. So it was a very strange kind of broadcast. And, and like you say, the risks here are crazy because you can't control balloons, yep. right? You can't control where they're going to go. Mm. All you can do is make them go up faster or down faster because he had sandbags that he could drop if he wanted to go up right. and he could pop balloons if he wanted to go down. But sideways, you, you're dependent on the wind. And so a lot of the thing was where the balloon's going to be <laughs> when he jumps and where's it going to land oh, man. because he's got to land wherever, wherever the balloons end up. Yep. And, and another thing that was crazy about it was that he wanted the image of him going up with the one-handed balloons without a parachute on his back. So they hit the parachute in the balloons. No ways. So while he was up there, he had to grab the parachute no and ways. put it on in midair, like 10,000 feet in the air, in order to get down. No ways. It, it was just a crazy, crazy stunt. And, and Chad, I'm, I'm afraid I was one of those people. It wasn't <laughs> until he was actually foot on the ground that I could then breathe and be like, okay, cool. <laughs> he survived. He survived. Because no one wants to see that. But no. if it's live on YouTube, I mean... I mean <laughs> I can't deny the allure, right? <laughs> exactly. I think I, I think that's kind of the whole, uh, like you say, the whole lure of this whole feat. Um, and the fact that so much could go wrong. There was so much going into this, so much training. Um, and also when it comes to things like oxygen, when it comes to things like human conditioning, um, you know, it's very possible that he was up there not able to reach for the parachute. Um, and yeah, I mean, all of these kinds of highly, highly precise timings, uh, in terms of oxygen levels, in terms of actually holding on for long enough, switching to the parachute at the right time, pressure, all of those kinds of things, and giving him, I guess, the added pressure of dropping sandbags and popping balloons. It's a lot of work for one person. And for one person who is, like you say, an illusionist, a, a magician, if you'd like, on one side, um, but also, you know, just another guy who likes doing stunts. Um, and so really cool that YouTube are, are spending cash like this on these types of projects. I hope we can only hope we're going to see some more kinds of things like this in the future. Um, but for me, it's exciting and it, uh, it definitely you know, showcases a, a bigger future for, for YouTube. And I do sometimes wonder where my premium YouTube subscription, where all that money is going. You know, obviously it's dropping <laughs> the adverts and obviously that helps. Uh, but ultimately the YouTube premium subscription is very expensive. Uh, when you look at other offerings out there. I think this is the way that YouTube has to compete, right? If you're looking at how they're going to compete with Netflix and, and all the other streaming services that are available, they can really compete on these sort of live one-time events exactly. because YouTube is very built for those sorts of things, right? They have the infrastructure to be able to host like hundreds of thousands of people watching live all yep. at once. And so I think that's the direction they have to go into these sorts of special projects, which might cost a little bit more but have a much bigger media hype and buzz around them when they actually happen. Yeah. Rather than trying to compete with original content where the creators on their platform are already creating lots of cool stuff. So in my opinion, I think they should stick stay away from that sort of stuff and let the creators build that. And they should focus their money and their time and efforts on these sorts of things, which wouldn't be able to happen anywhere else, yeah. right? You, you, I can't think of another company that'd be willing to sponsor this, maybe Red Bull potentially. But yeah. other than yeah. that, I can't think of other companies that'd be willing to do this sort of thing. And, and David Blaine seemed so grateful because he had this idea in his head and he basically went to YouTube and said, listen, I need a gazillion dollars to make this happen. And they were like, cool, let's do it. And so that's really special. And it brings a kind of viewing experience that I've never had in my whole life. Mm. I can't explain to you the feeling of watching him go up that first kind of 10 minutes when he was floating up into the air. It was such a surreal moment. Crazy, just crazy. Have to go and watch it. 
uh, definitely didn't do my my homework uh, for this episode to go and actually watch all of these things that we're going to be talking about. Because <laughs> there's a few things, and uh, ultimately, we've got a lot to get through, Barry. Shall we plow ahead? The next thing on the notes here, Chad, confused me a lot because it says Ed Sheeran's baby's name. And I wasn't even aware he had a baby. So what's going on here, Chad? He has had a baby. Five days ago, as we record this uh, on Monday, he has had a baby. I don't know a whole much more about his, you know, his, his spouse. Her name is Cherry Seaborn. Unfortunately, don't know a whole lot more. I, I'm not into the, the kind of celebrity gossip, Barry. I'm sorry. I don't have much more for all that. <laughs> I don't have much more for you. Come on, Chad. That's why people come to Across the Pond for celebrity (laughs) gossip. Come on. (laughs) But I do have the name because we do like speaking about baby names here. We've spoken about Elon Musk's baby. And now we're going to speak about Ed Sheeran's baby very quickly because her name is Lyra Antarctica Seaborn Sheeran. No. Antarctica. (laughs) Yeah. Are you serious? I am. Lyra Antarctica Seaborn Sheeran. Wow. That's going to be tough to write on your home affairs forms, eh? <laughs> it is. You're not going to have blocks. It is, but it's certainly going to be easier than Elon's. Chad, do you reckon she's got a guitar in her hands already? <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Martin uh, guys who, who sponsor it has, you know, really got this Lyra designer line coming up. Because as you know, I don't know if you do know, but he's got his own signature Martin guitar, which is, I think it's called the X. And it's a little bit smaller than your normal guitar body. Um, you know, they all have their various shapes and sizes, but you never know. Maybe that's something to watch out for, uh, for all of the guitar fans out there. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to wait and see whether Larry can live up to the, the big shoes of Mr. Ed Sheeran. Yeah, absolutely. Let's then move on to our next segment. Looking ahead. I'm looking ahead this week. We're chatting about a new technology that I'm very excited about, but at the same time, very terrified about, Chad. And it's about the idea of a brain-machine interface, which sounds like sci-fi, but it's getting more and more real by the day. And it's our good friend, Mr. Elon Musk, again, Mm -hmm. with one of his companies called Neuralink, right? And it's kind of his newest company. And they had a summer progress update where they basically showed off what the product can do at the moment, what advancements have been made, and where they're at at the moment. And so they are the first kind of commercial company that's really taking brain-machine interfaces seriously. And for those who don't know what that is, it's basically inserting a machine into your brain so it can talk directly to the brain no right? and then reading the data working with the data and even stimulating new data into your brain itself so if you imagine it chad this is what this is what the vision looks like so this is what elon kind of told us about you're going to go into a hospital right you're going to get wheeled into the operating room you're going to go under this robot surgeon so no human surgeons here <laughs> it's a robot they're going to put you under topical anesthetic in your in your head so okay. not general anesthetics you still be awake they're going to take a piece of your skull out, right, about the size of a large coin. Oh my gosh. Take the piece of the skull out. They're going to insert the Neuralink, which is like this little round machine thing. And then there's a bunch of wires coming out of that machine. And they're going to insert, well, the robot is going to insert <laughs> those wires into your brain, what? into various neurons in your brain. Then you're going to go home. After about an hour, you're going to get to go home. Like, no, you don't have to say that in the night, none of that. The recovery is quick. Go home and you've got a machine in your brain. Chad. What? That is crazy. Are we even talking about reality here? Is this a pipe dream? Um, it sounds insane. It sounds like an episode of Black Mirror. Honestly, uh, when you think about the episode where you get this little chip put into your brain, the episode I'm referring to is one that you can actually record all of the footage of your life and be able to access it at various different times. And although that might sound really cool, it actually ends up being not so cool. So what is this <laughs> device actually going to be able to do, Barry? So that's the big question about all this, Chad. And then we have to be careful about Elon's ambition because Elon is very, very kind of future thinking. And so a lot of his ideas are very vision-based. And it's important to note that none of this has been proven just yet. Right. So they've got a bunch of them in some pigs. And so they've, what they've okay. proven is that these things can be inserted and that they, they don't kill the pigs, basically. That's all they've proven so far, right? And so it's still a far away journey to figure out what they're going to do with it. But the vision is so fascinating and compelling to me. And basically what they want to do is to be able to tackle any neurological problems that affects our human body or our human brain. So a lot of the pain and suffering and kind of disorders that happen are because of misfiring neurons, because of something gets gets crossed in your brain or there's some sort of disorder or some sort of aging in some of the cells. And if you're able to stimulate some of those neurons and kind of read the data and kind of stimulate new data into them, theoretically you should be able to solve some of these problems. 
So some of the, I'll, I'll read out some of the things they want to fight, Chad. It's memory loss, hearing loss, blindness, paralysis, anxiety, wow. strokes, depression, insomnia, extreme pain, seizures, brain damage, addiction. Wow. The, the list just goes on and on and on. What they're basically saying is so much of human suffering is because of something going wrong upstairs. And if you're able to read that, figure out what's going wrong, and then, and then fix it, a lot of these things can come back online. For example, if you're blind and your retina has been kind of damaged or whatnot, if you were able to then inject a, a Neuralink into your brain that then like reads what data signals are coming through and kind of fixes whatever was broken artificially, you should be able to get your, your eyesight back, for wow. example. And the same for being able to walk, same for being able to talk, all of these things that are, affect people, especially in their old age when it comes to dementia and Alzheimer's yep. and all these good things. That's what they're trying to solve for. Um, and that's what's so exciting about the future of this technology. But of course, like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of risk and a lot of worrying ethical dilemmas as well on the other side of that. Crazy ambitious, though. Uh, honestly, if we have, would have thought of anyone to have come up with something like this, it could only have been Elon. <laughs> and obviously, to turn that into a kind of capitalistic type endeavor in the future as well. Um, it just sounds incredible, the fact that these devices are even inside pigs at the moment. I wonder you know, what kind of capabilities they have at the moment. Um, it's just crazy, though, with all of those various risks. I mean, I certainly would never be comfortable doing anything like that. I mean, I say that now, but you never <laughs> know. We might get to the stage where these devices have been installed into 100,000 people. And, uh, you know, there's a, a really good hit rate, no fatalities, nothing like that. And we might have different uh, angles here. So it's interesting to see that the purpose of this device is to correct deficiencies rather than to give us extra abilities uh, kind of thing or, you know, store more data, access, you know, extra webs of information. I see you are shaking your head there, Barry. <laughs> Chad, you're hitting the nail on the head here. Of course, Elon wants to do all of that stuff, right. right? And so this is kind of the first step to be able to fix things that are broken. But if you if you really listen to Elon's kind of the way he speaks about it and the way he's written about it in the past, he really believes this is our only way to compete with advanced AI. His kind of end game, in the same way that Mars is the end game for SpaceX, but at the moment they're just doing satellites, his end game for this technology is to be able to get to stage when we build an AI that is so advanced that is way beyond human capability, how are we going to compete? And his answer is by making ourselves superhuman through these sorts of devices. Oh my gosh. And so he talks a lot about things like memory, like memory and be able to be access to the web and telepathic communication and all of these things that become available if you're able to oh convert brain signals into data, right? So at the end of the day, if you can convert a brain signal into data, you can transfer that data, you can work on that data, you can process that data. And if that is possible, all of these things start to open up and all of a sudden sci-fi doesn't sound so sci-fi anymore. And so I wonder if this is one of those things, Chad, where in 100 years' time, our great-grandchildren will be looking at this as a necessary thing in order to compete in the world. Because all of a sudden, if you've got a small proportion of the population who are making themselves superhuman and you aren't willing to kind of compete with that, yep. then you're going to be left behind. And so that is where all these interesting ethical dilemmas come from, is that what does this mean for the future of the human race if some of these things actually come true? And if you're able to do some of the things that they envision, what happens to us as a, just a pure human? That's just insane. I just can't fathom this kind of level of discussion it's just crazy to me it's just crazy to, to, to <laughs> want to turn yourself into superhuman um and also you know be able to ultimately there's going to be a company that is going to be hosting your data there's a company that's going to be ruling you ultimately it's just crazy <laughs> just th this whole thought now i get it if, we, if we're talking about in a bigger picture competing with ai i get all of that stuff i get it i get it but I don't get it, Barry. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and so, yeah, I, this is scary for me. This is really very scary. It, it is, Chad. And it, that's why I'm saying I'm equally excited and terrified at the same time <laughs> because it has such potential to alleviate suffering. It has such potential to do so much good for the world. But then again, Black Mirror is like right around the corner, basically, because Black Mirror showed you exactly what's, how some of these things can go wrong. Yep. And, and like you say, it's hard to imagine putting something into your head like that. The, the weirdest thing for me, Chad, is that basically they described it as like a Fitbit for your brain. So the idea was that every night you were going to take it out of your skull oh, and right. charge it on your nightstand <laughs> and then put it back in the next day. Oh, that to God. me is just, it's just bonkers. I, I can't imagine charging my, my phone, my Apple Watch, and then my, my brain machine interface. It just feels <laughs> so foreign. It's like, it's, oh. I, I love this stuff though. I love thinking about this stuff as a thought experiment and like, what is the future going to look like? 
if I ever had a time machine, I want to go a thousand years <laughs> in the future and see what this technology is doing down there. It's just insane. And then it opens up all of these other questions, Barry. If you charge your device, what happens when the battery, uh, you know, fluffs up? Does it send jolting, <laughs> um, you know, voltage into your brain and, you know, cause extra <laughs> issues? What are the possibilities here? Is this something that's going to wirelessly charge where you actually then walk under some kind of UV light and all of a sudden <laughs> get some extra frequency coming through? It's just it's just too much for my, my little brain to comprehend. Chad, you know what the best part is? It's going to be Bluetooth connected oh, to an app on your phone. Oh, no. So can you, I mean, we all know Bluetooth devices, they don't work all the time, they're a bit dodgy sometimes. Oh. Can you imagine if you can't connect your, your app, your, your phone to your, your Neuralink? It's, it's, like a, <laughs> it's, it's a, a whole separate kettle of fish that gets opened up. And if you go down, this go down this road, it becomes a quagmire very quickly when you start to think about yep. some of these futuristic type things. But the point, of the, the point of the matter is that this company exists. It's got 100 employees of some of the no. most talented people in the world. It's got millions and millions of dollars of funding. Wow. There are live pigs walking around as we speak with these things in their brains. So it's not completely like out of the realm of possibility. We might see us in the next 10 years. And I, 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 I don't know if I'm ready for a world like that. Oh, I'm not. I'm not, Barry. And uh, I hope that it <laughs> doesn't come through before our lifetime is up. As it is with our wearable devices that are not inserted in our actual human body, um, it's too much already, right? You have yourself turned off all your notifications <laughs> on your Apple Watch because it's too distracting. There's too much going on. What, what happens when you can't even control your thoughts anymore because something else is controlling you? Something else has gotten <laughs> access to a myriad of extra information. I know I'm going on, Barry, but I'm just overwhelmed here. <laughs> let, me, let me throw another thing to overwhelm you, Chad. Imagine how good across the pond would be if we could broadcast it directly into our <laughs> listeners' brains. Just imagine how good that would be, right? Oh, Telepathically broadcasting across the pond to anyone who wants to listen right in their brain. They can sit here with us in virtual reality, but in their brain. <laughs> well, hopefully not live, Barry, because then they would see all of our fumbles. And man, oh man, have we had a lot tonight. So I'm glad we don't have this technology just yet. Shall we move on then? Let's do it. Develop and grow. Now, last week, Barry, we kicked off the episode having had a chat where we were both like, what is the meaning of life? Not quite that dramatic. <laughs> but a lot, of, a lot of our questions were, you know, how do you succeed ultimately? What is the word success? And uh, basically, when we're comparing ourselves with other people who have excelled in their various fields, you know, how do we get there? Sometimes we might feel like we're at that level already, but there's another kind of world underneath it that just doesn't let us access it. Um, so anyway, on the back of that, you went and did a little bit more research and found this article that uh, aims to solve some of these problems. Talk us through it. Yeah, I don't know if it solves it, Chad, but it's, it tries to give you some solace, right? right? Some consoling about how you're feeling. And I think it's very true with creative. So we both are, aspire to be creatives. Yeah. We want to make things. We write blogs. We do these podcasts. We make videos, etc. And like you say, it's very tempting to compare our stuff to kind of the, the best in the world, yep. right? And we look at the views. We look at our views of 173 and we're like, oh, damn it. This guy's got 8 million views with like yep. wrapping gifts or whatever he's doing, right? <laughs> and so it's very hard to like not <laughs> – there is. There's a chick with 9 million followers that just wraps presents no. and people watch it. It's, it's very strange. Anyway, <laughs> that's besides the point. Um, as creatives or as people, we are so easy to get in this comparison game. And a lot of us have this imposter syndrome. I know I certainly do. On some days when I'm feeling good about myself, I'm like, okay, my work is good. I feel like I'm, I'm doing good stuff. I've got a chance at making this in this, whatever this career I'm going to try and make for myself. But then on my bad days, I, I'm like, oh, I could never do this. My work's yep. never going to be good enough. And you kind of beat yourself up about it. And this article focuses on, on one key idea that is, is very true. It's very cliche. It's kind of one of those things we all kind of know intellectually. Yep. But we sometimes need a reminder that it actually is the case. And this idea is that how do you be great? You just be good consistently, right? Yep. And, and so much of life, so much of succeeding, so much of doing things that matter in the world is just showing up and doing it time after time after time after time. Because inevitably... If you do it enough, you're going to get better, unless you're completely off the track, right? At least you're completely off the mark. But if you, if you are try, desperately trying to make things better every single time, if you're making your video 1% better than the last one, after 100 videos, you're in a whole different universe than where you were, yeah. right? 
The same with writing, same with any kind of goal or objective you're trying to get to. If you're good consistently, you're going to outlast 99% of the people who give up too early and it gives you a chance to actually make something of yourself. And, and what I loved about it was that it kind of pushes against this idea that overnight success is a yep. thing. It kind of pushes against this idea that all of a sudden things turn on for this person and they're lucky and they kind of make it. You don't see the 12 years before that of then making stuff and failing and failing and failing and failing. So I found it very consoling, Chad, because I'm in that space and I just have to keep making stuff. Completely. You definitely do. And I've heard so many people who have reached what we would consider a level of, of success, a level that they would not consider success anymore, which is also an interesting thing to talk about and one thing that I pulled from this article. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of those people say it was a 10-year overnight success, which is funny because it does kind of poke that bear ultimately, poke that overnight success phenomenon that a lot of people like to cling to um, ultimately when they're feeling frustrated themselves that they're not you know, actually getting that headway. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that, that sort of relative success or what they call the hedonic scale or hedonic, I don't know, frame of reference. You can talk me through it, Barry. Treadmill. Hedonic treadmill. <laughs> um, but it's something that rings true to every single step of my life. When you were, for example, in grade one and you look up at this grade seven, you're like, wow, he's so old. He knows so much. He's so clever. He's so smart. He's, you know, he's so big. Until you get to grade seven, you're like, actually, no, I'm normal. Then you look up at the, the grade 12 and you're like, wow, look at him. He's on the first team, you know, rugby team. He's uh, on the stage performing in front of hundreds of people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So smart, upgrade maths, et cetera. Until you're there and you're actually like, no, it's normal. It's completely normal. And uh, for me, that's a very, very clear phenomenon and one that we should be applying to every single walk of our lives. It's so profound, this idea that the goalposts just keep moving. Yep. And you never actually arrive. Like we, we, we kind of envision a goal and we're like, cool, there, there's the finish line. When I get to a thousand subscribers or a million subscribers, yep. that's going to be the goal that's going to make me happy and it's going to make me content. <laughs> but like you say, you get there and then you're like, oh, but these guys have got 10 yep. million. So, so therefore, my, my achievement now is, 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 much, is not, not as cool as it once was. And I think that that hedonic treadmill of like going after things because you think that the finish line is there, that's a mistake we all yep. make. Because at the end of the day, like you say, it's all contextual. Like you don't, you don't get rid of your problems. You don't solve your problems. You just trade them for different ones, yep. right? When you're poor, you, you feel like okay, well, money's going to solve all my problems. And it does for a point in time, for like a short period. Yep. It does solve your problems because it gets you food on the table, gets you education for your kids, it gets you that sort of thing. But eventually you realize yep. money wasn't solving, the, I mean, it was solving those problems, but there's new problems that Definitely. pop up. And it's exactly the same when you're trying to tackle a goal or tackle some sort of objective you're going towards. Is that the goalposts are always moving. And all you can do to keep yourself sane is just focus on what's happening right now. Focus on the process. Focus on what you're making right at this moment. And instead of comparing yourself to some guy who started doing photography 20 years before you were born and has been making videos for his whole career, rather compare yourself to the you of yesterday or the video you made last week yep. and try and improve in that way. Because improving on that plane, that's how you get to success, is by getting better than yourself yesterday. Not by comparing yourself to someone else. You don't have the context about their life. You don't know what they've gone through to get to that point. You just see their finished product and you're like, damn, my stuff sucks compared to yeah. that. And that's something we all, we all deal with. And we have a lot of conversations about it, Chad, yeah. because we go through that on a weekly basis almost. We do. We do. And uh, it's an easy trap to fall into. Ultimately, that's what we're aspiring to. That's what in a lot of ways gives us the, the inspiration as well um, to, to create and to, to do things. Um, so I definitely think there's a positive sort of side to it, uh, but the negative side is very easy, the comparing part. And it's, it's so easy to fall into that kind of trap, uh, especially when you, you're thinking you want to compete on the same ground, but you actually realize that there's different grounds. And so this kind of message, which is simple, to be great, just be good repeatedly, is simple. And it ultimately, it's not going to give everyone that silver bullet. It, it's, there's no shortcuts here. It's, it's really just saying, keep your head down, get through it, trudge along, um, and ultimately one day you'll be better than you were before with easy to understand graphs, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I guess that's all that you need. It, it hits the spot. It's the only thing you can control. It's the only thing you can control is what you're making right now and not worrying about what's happening around yep. you. 
I think a lot of us get into this this trap of like we look at a hero of ours or a role model and we try and emulate their life exactly. We try and use the same software as they do. We try and do the same style, the same kind of the same same tactic, the same marketing, etc. But they got there because they took their own path and they like focus on what was good for them. And I think we forget that sometimes. Mm. Instead of obviously we want to look up to them and like learn from them for sure, but you have to go on your own path. And the only way you do that is by comparing yourself to yourself rather than to the people around you. And it's it's so simple, like you say. It's 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 simple, but it's not easy to do, because we are social beings. We we demand, we want the social approval of others. We want to belong. We want to feel like we're worthwhile. We we're useful and etc. But at the end of the day, the people who are truly like sane and truly are comfortable and confident in their own skin are able to ignore what other people think and just focus on what they are doing and put the work in, put the hard work yep. in, day after day after day. Because like you say, a few years later, you wake up and all of a sudden you're world-class at the skill that you've been working on a tiny, tiny percentage every single day. And it's almost like, it's almost like how we grow up in a way. Like, yeah. Because yeah. we are who we are, we look in the mirror every single day, we don't notice the, the changes mm -hmm. as, as time goes on because they're so small day to day. But if you don't see a family member for like a few years and you go to see them, they, they remark on how much you've yeah. changed. And it's exactly the same in any of these things that you don't realize the 1% every single day you're improving that compound interest is going to make you unstoppable in over the longer term. But you have to get there. You can't give up before you get there. Definitely. You're so right. And that's such a great little example to use um, because it's so true. When you, when you look at some of the examples that she gives here, um, it's not easy, right? It's easy to get out of bed when you feel like. It's not easy to get out of bed at 6 o'clock every morning, straight routine, go out, do your exercise, do all that kind of stuff. Um, and ultimately, it, it kind of talks about some of the things we've spoken about before. It's easy to to plan and to feel good about these things without actually getting through and doing it, making that meaningful progress. Um, so yeah, I like that article, Barry. Thanks for bringing it up. And hopefully it, it helps us. Hopefully we can get over ourselves, even just temporarily, and just keep <laughs> being consistent, keep doing this thing. I mean, we missed one week of the podcast last week, Barry, but I think we've been fairly consistent. We're very consistent. I'm very proud of us, to yeah. be honest. Like, if we get a little bit meta for a moment, like when we started this podcast, we were both like, hey, we're going to experiment. We're going to try it out. We're going to see how it goes. But we've been chatting to each other and talking about the fact that consistency matters Definitely. and trying not to look at the numbers too much, not to get too worried about who is listening and trying to make the show that we would enjoy listening yeah. to. And that's what I think we've done. I think we've made 43 great shows which we really are proud of. And obviously the things we would like to improve, like sure. tonight we've had a lot of mistakes, <laughs> uh, which you won't get to see in the final version. But it's one of those things where as long as we're getting a little bit better every single week, that's all that matters. Yep. Chad, I bet you if we were to go back and look at episode one, two, and three of this podcast and compare it to now, we would be shocked at how much we've improved yep. over the last couple of months. Even though in our minds, we're like, oh, this episode, we need to improve things a little bit. Does that make sense? <laughs> that makes complete sense. And I mean, I actually did that the other day. For I, I watched literally just a, a minute of the beginning. And even just to see how much physically we've changed, like, like talking about the family member. I mean, for me, it was just the other day, <laughs> right? For me, I don't think anything's really that different. Go and look at one of our previous episodes on YouTube and you'll see we have physically changed quite a lot. Um, and certainly in terms of quality as well, um, you know, definitely, I suppose that's just, that's just practice, right? Um, it, it talks to Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. It talks to all of these kinds of phenomena. Yep. Um, just put in the work, keep your head down, keep practicing. You'll get there. I have to read this quote before we end this section, Chad. Um, coming from in that article, a guy called Jason Fagon or Fagoni. Okay. I don't know how to pronounce his surname, but the quote is, I love it. It says, I have seen impractical and improbable things accomplished. All it took to achieve improbable things was an optimistic attitude and a refusal to give up. Great quote. I love that. Yeah, love such that. a great quote. And what better way to, to bring us onto the other little thing I wanted to chat about this week, um, which is another guy who I previously have not known too much about. I think you do, Barry, and I'm keen to, to, to dive oh, yeah. into that. Um, but it's a guy by the name of Jordan B. Peterson, who from this one lecture that I've listened to, uh, this past week seems to me like quite an optimist seems to me uh, the, the guy who says well it's something anything is something the lights on barry it's something <laughs> um and so what a great place to to move us on to the to this next uh topic so what do you know about him are you a big fan do you listen to his stuff I'm a huge fan, absolutely huge fan i've read all of his books okay. um i've gone through one of his one of his courses. 
Um, I've, I've listened to a lot of his, his speeches and his, his public appearances. I think he's such an important voice in the world right now. Um, for those who don't know, he kind of came to prominence about two years yeah. ago now in Canada. He's a Canadian professor of psychology. And he came to prominence because he was fighting against a, a free speech debate in Canada. And Canada had one of these laws where they were trying to ban certain phrases and certain um, like pronouns and that sort of thing. Well, not ban them, but make them mandatory. Right. And try and enforce uh, enforce um, certain speech on things, and so that's how he got his name. And so he fought that, and was very articulate, very very in influential, and really like caught the attention of the world. And then all of a sudden, people discovered all of his old stuff and all of the things he's been teaching for twenty to thirty years. Wow! And I find it interesting you describe him as an optimist because I think he's a very tough man. He's a very very hard man. And so I wouldn't use the word optimist, but I think he's he's a realist who understands the worst of people. And therefore, how we should be grateful for the best of people. Right. And watching him talk, it's 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 absolutely compelling. He's one of the most impressive orators and most impressive speakers I've ever seen. The way he can hold an audience or hold a room and make his point no with no notes. He can talk for four yep. hours, no notes, and it's absolutely riveting. And so for me, I've learned a hell of a lot from him. I know nothing about the psychological academic side of his right. stuff. I don't know if that's true or not. That's not my field. But when it comes to talking about masculinity, when it comes to talking about responsibility, about how to lead your life, I think he is a voice we desperately need in today's world. Yeah, absolutely. So I've picked up one of his books and it's sitting over there, 12 Rules to Life. Um, I, I need to get to it. You know, my constant challenges with, with getting through literature. <laughs> um, but I've also heard it's a good such one. good things. And uh, I've watched a few clips. Um, ultimately, seems like a guy who um, is, is really vulnerable. He's not afraid to, to get emotional on a topic. Um, and it's not acting either. It, it, it's genuine. Uh, you know, he shows, he shows his uh, empathy and he shows his emotional journey through particular topics. And I think that's partially one of the reasons why he's able to hold a crowd. Um, that and, of course, fantastic, fantastic um, content as well. Um, but this particular one that I want to talk about today is a, a lecture that he did. I think it was in Australia. And I think it was on the back of that book and, and, the, ver and the tour, ultimately, uh, going you know, around the world to, to take various talks on it. And it's about a topic called toxic masculinity, which is something that I didn't really know a whole lot about, but I believe it's got quite a buzz about it of you know, recent years. Um, and ultimately, you know, to, to hear about this tragic story of him and one of his friends um, who, who basically withdraws himself from society, let's just kind of take a step back. So what is toxic masculinity? Ultimately, it's this idea that us humans are fundamentally bad. All we do is, you know, create global warming. Uh, you know, we, we damage the earth. We kill off various species. We do all of this stuff. We wreak all of this havoc. And so, you know, as, as people, we, we, we're toxic. We, we're toxic for the earth. Is that, is that the way that you would understand this topic, Barry? It's such a difficult definition, Chad, because everyone means different things right. when they talk about it. But, but the, uh, the sense is right. It, it was kind of a, a, a concept that came out of the fight against the patriarchy when, when we were trying to get gender equality and right. trying to make sure that women had equal rights to men, etc. They were acknowledging a lot of the reasons that we need femininity in our society was because of this masculinity that's kind of been ruling the roost for as long as we can remember. And toxic masculinity was a way to, to kind of label this and talk about some of the bad parts of masculinity, the, the extreme aggression, the violence, the, the kind of the, the, the non-emotional stuff that we don't like to talk about, but is a part of our masculinity. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. Um, and it is really interesting because, like I said, you know, not knowing too much about this topic going in, from his one talk alone, I could see that there were very streams here and that, you know, there was this gender stream, but there was also this other stream, this, this human stream. His whole thing was, well, you want to talk about men? You want to talk about women? Why don't you talk about humans? Um, and so I, that's yeah. why I kind of found this uh, topic pretty interesting and, and his lecture quite interesting. And essentially this whole idea of a friend of his who you know, became quite keen on sustainability. I know a lot of us are these days, right? A lot of us are talking about climate change, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And there's this temptation to withdraw from society because you feel like you're contributing to it. And ultimately, this guy ends up in this place where he's resenting people for, for participating. He's resenting people for going to work, for using the trains, for, for doing this, for doing that. And he just becomes this, this bitter soul who ultimately cannot participate in society, who ultimately 
cannot live in this world and who ultimately eventually takes his life at the age of 40. Um, and so for me, quite a hectic story, but certainly something very, very important, especially when we've been talking about climate change so much in the last uh, couple of months, years, where we talk about these figureheads, Greta Thunberg, who is directly influencing our future generation. I do worry that it gets to the other end where you've got these youngsters who believe that we as people are, are toxic to this earth um, and, and ultimately do this, withdraw from society, um, because it, it can never, ever be a good thing. Yeah, that, that's one of the key things that, that makes him so relevant for our times right now. Um, if you think about even before p- pandemic, the world had got a little bit soft, yep. right? People have been very, very like soft in the sense of mental health when it comes to yep. dealing with, with adversity, that sort of thing. And, and Jordan Peterson came at a time and he was fighting against nihilism, fighting against the idea that nothing matters and that we must just give up because the problems are too big. Mm. We're not going to be able to solve it. You as an individual can't make a yep. difference. Therefore, you should just sit at home and play computer games, right? And his whole thing was, there is virtue, there is meaning, there's fulfillment in taking responsibility for something small in your own life. So his, 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 the famous meme about him is that his first thing is that if you're in a rut, if you're in a slump, clean your room. Yep. That's like, that, was, that was the meme that became very attached to his name. And the idea is, is simple, is that when you're tackling something like climate change or some sort of global pandemic or some sort of problem that seems so overwhelming it's not an excuse not to do anything, mm. right? It, it, it's, a, it's a mistake to then withdraw into your, your bubble and say, I can't do anything, therefore I can't help. Jordan Peterson came out and said, you have to fight that nihilism. And there is, there is virtue in being able to say, I am going to take responsibility for a tiny little piece of what's in my circle, my circumstances, and I'm going to take responsibility and I'm going to act in a way that I'll be proud of. Yep. And that is going to be the... the the first domino that's going to be the first kind of step towards building momentum to actually make real change in the world. And he's so passionate about this that it really inspires you when you listen to it because we've all been in those, those places where we feel like, what's the point, yeah. right? Where things have been going against us for so long, we can't get the job we want, we can't find the relationship we want, we feel like things are, are helpless yeah. or hopeless. And he just speaks a message of clarity, of tough love into our lives saying, it doesn't matter what all that stuff is happening on. Get your house in order. Eat properly. Get out, yeah. of your, get out of bed. Put some decent clothes on. Go out and get some sun. Do the small things in your life. Take responsibility for your own health and your own life because that's the only way you can move forward. And, and he kind of goes even further. He says it's cowardly to withdraw into yourself mm-hmm. and to, to get away from the world. That's cowardly. We have to live in the world. We have to interact with the world because that's why we're here. And yeah, you can hear I'm getting passionate yeah. about it. It's, it's a topic that I think is so necessary right yeah. now for a lot of us. It's something I've tried to take to heart in my own life. And uh, I think that he is an exceptional, exceptional storyteller in that in that. Way. Absolutely. And I, I could never recreate this lecture for you in a couple of minutes. It, it's, it's a two-hour lecture, and I, I highly recommend you actually go and check it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, just in terms of the, the sort of optimistic side of it, why I maybe pulled that he was an optimist is when talking about what humans have done right, he obviously addresses, yes, you're right, we've got a bloody past. For us to be in the civilizations that we are at the moment, in the, in the first world, uh, certainly, there was a lot of blood that needed to be, to be shed. And, and ultimately, you know, that's not a good thing. But if you look at the good things that comes from it, we, you know, we live in societies that are fairly safe. We have electricity in our homes. Uh, he talks about the fact that we get heating sometimes. in our homes sometimes, sometimes. I said the first world, Barry. I did say the first world. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Fair enough. He talks about the fact that when we heat homes, a lot of the time we're heating homes with natural gases and none of those homes blow up. It's remarkable. There's a lot of remarkable stuff that ultimately you need to be optimistic about. You need to switch your frame of reference in those moments of despair or those moments of, of hardship because there is a lot that we've accomplished. There's a lot that we've got right. Um, and, and so to hear him speak about that with such passion, especially when, when talking to a lot of the times young men who a lot of the times have found themselves in a rut and a lot of the times have found themselves to be depressed, etc. That is a group of people that he himself says he's been able to help a lot. Um, and so even if that's not you, I definitely think there's a lot of value you can get from listening to some of his stuff. Um, and I'm certainly going to be tuning into him a whole lot more. Um, certainly when I'm you know, at gym or commuting or whatever the case is, there's nothing better than having some thought-provoking material come through on your 
uh, on your eardrums. And you know that. You listen to us. <laughs> yeah, spot on. I, I can't say it any better than that, Chad. I think the, the point that I want to emphasize is what you said is switching your frame of yep. reference. That's what he is so good at. He's so good at showing you a new perspective on life, on the world. So just give you a fresh set of eyes to realize that there's so much to be grateful for. There's so much good in this world. And there's so much that you can do as an individual. If you clean your room, you go and you get your life in order, you kind of make small steps, celebrate those. Like yep. Those are really special moments. And like you say, it's the best time in history to be alive. There's never been a better time to be alive than right now. And so fight the, 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 the dragon of nihilism, fight the dragon of, of despair, and actually take responsibility for your own life because there's so much good here if only you'd look for it. Absolutely. And what a great place to end off this episode. Episode 43, Barry, kind of went through the whole spectrum. It's a bit of a roller coaster here. Um, but as always, wrapping up on such a profound note. We have to, Chad. We have to end on a good note to send you out into your week. And wherever you are in the world right now, we appreciate you guys. And go out and crush it. That's all I want to say. It's where he's working for Gary V. Do go and tune in to our future <laughs> episodes. We love to have you here. Please also go and follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at across underscore podcast, Instagram at across the podcast, and on Facebook at across the pond podcast. We'll see you next week. Pond, across the pond.